like cousins identical cousins you never watch that show never mind i mean what i mean missing out on a lot you just didn't watch enough nick at night growing up i didn't i was not a nick nickelodeon fan no i'm talking about nick at nick at nick at night nick at night come on Puberty, Robin. Remember how much fun that was? No, dude. No. No. This this week, we're going to be talking about the graphic novels Skim, which came out in 2008, and This One Summer from 2014, both written by Mariko Tamaki and illustrated by her cousin, Jillian Tamaki. I have cool cousins. I think they would look down upon me if I asked them to do comics. They're not, they're not cool enough, my friend. Yeah, exactly. All right. To say the two books are about puberty is a bit dismissive, of course. Uh, while both feature protagonists who are in their pre to mid teens, both books are about people who have these rich, complicated inner lives that they're unable to articulate, either because they don't have the vocabulary yet or because they live in a world that isn't charitable to anyone or anything that doesn't fall into convention. The books are about children being exposed to things in the world they might be too young to fully understand and how they try to process all of it. Because that's what we do on Quarantine Comics. We're here to process stuff. You really know. How to make this sound fun, Ryan. I try. I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And we were hoping by now that the quarantine part of quarantine comics would be obsolete, but nope, it's more relevant than ever. Oh, God. Roman, two weeks ago, you were talking about how reading the two Eleanor Davis comics back-to-back really impacted how you thought about them. So I was kind of curious if the same was the case here. Yeah, you know, I'd actually read one of these before because the second book, this one summer is by an imprint called First Second Press, which I genuinely just trust. It's kind of like HBO is a brand I just trust. They put stuff out and I like it. So I had read it before. I had not read Skim. But for this reading, you know, when we've been doing these double features, I always read them in chronological publishing order. What was weird for me, you know, the last books we read in our last double feature, I felt like the first book almost seamlessly went into the next. All the short stories, we picked one and ran into it. And in this case, it was like reading, you know, the the age of the characters. You've got these, like, high school teenagers in Skim, and then you've got these almost middle schoolers in this one summer. And it felt like a little bit like a prequel, right? They're not the same characters. I, the awkwardness of Skim, I cringed at. And I uh, I just didn't like as much. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. But this one summer, again, I'd read it before, felt a little more polished. I, again, and I have a soft spot for seeing kids growing up, the younger they are, being being a relatively new father. And so I just really related to this one summer a lot more. I, I genuinely wonder how much of this is autobiographical. And that's what I've enjoyed about a lot of the almost like real world comics we've been reading that don't have superheroes that don't have science fiction they don't have fictional elements 
because I feel like I'm getting a window into the soul of the creators when I read these. That's why I really like indie comics. It feels like you're, you know, you you get to see how the creator thinks, which you don't really get as much in superhero comics. You do sometimes. I think like Grant Grant Morrison superhero comics or Garth Ennis superhero comic. You can definitely tell who the writer was. But by and large, superhero comics feel a lot more more corporate. You're writing to kind of preserve the X-Men brand or the Spider-Man brand. Whereas stuff like this feels intensely personal. You see how how Jillian and Mariko Tamaki think, and you see how they kind of put stories together. It's like, as you said, a window into both of both creators' souls. You see how they were raised, you know? Like, you know, I, I you don't know which experience that, that are, are shown in the written or picture came from their life, but you know there are anecdotes that are true in here. You just don't know which ones are. You know, to your point also about this one, some are feeling more polished. I I definitely agree with you. I think the way the Tamakis juggle the children and adult storylines, it's it's actually very, very fluid. The point of view is is very consistent. At the same time, I I really loved, this probably speaks more to my personality, but the cringe uh, material in (laughs) in Skim, because that stuff really kind of gets to me, right? I have a real emotional reaction to to stuff that happens when skim you know does something that is humiliating to her i really feel it when skim well, and, I, and, and i want to back up skim for our listeners who might not have read it all hmm. three of them not just all three of our listeners not just the three listeners that never read this books skim tells the story of two teenage best friends focusing on one whose nickname is skim kind of going through a year or two of high school and maybe the cringe is like it's the teen. I mean, it's really accurate to the drama of the teen years. Granted, I wasn't a Wiccan, but <laughs> I didn't smoke a cigarette. I didn't go to an all girls Catholic school. But the awkward scenarios, the trauma of other kids killing themselves, you know, like there's a reality to it. You know, just just to kind of give you a few examples, there's an episode in Skim where she goes to a birthday party, a costume birthday party, and all of the girls are these rich girls that are dressed up like ballerinas and figure skaters. Skim shows up dressed like the cowardly lion, and and she's kind of isolating herself in this party, watching the secrets of Nim because she doesn't fit in. And then there's this moment where all of the ballerinas scream air raid and basically shove her out the door and lock her out and basically don't let her back in. Yeah, a bullying moment, bullying it's moment. A, it's, it's a, yeah, it is incredibly humiliating. And, you know, for me, I have had this really gut reaction to seeing to seeing that moment. You know, another moment is when she kind of has that affair with her hippie-ish English teacher and then keeps, like, hanging around. You know, that was also sort of like, oh, man, what are you doing, kid? Here's here's what I'd say about, you know, the cringe of Skim was it did hit too close to home. Again, these weren't my Mm. experiences, but those cringy feelings, the being bullied flashback, the, you know, unrequited love, all of those sort of things were way too close to home. The teen years I'm trying to forget. Right. And this one summer, it wasn't like the wonder years. I mean, it it actually kind of was. It was. Let's let's look back at the really magical moment of childhood. And once they drew you into a little bit of it, you know, the goofy friend, the vacation friend, the just all the silliness. Right. But it pulls back the veneer on the real shit that was going on with mom and dad or these overdramatic moments that you were observing about the teenage, the older kids. And it felt more distant. And maybe that's why, like, I still to this day 
when I go back to some of my teen years and I have some of those memories to the way I behave, I cringe. But elementary and middle school, it was an innocent time. And not only do I project my child into that, but again, it was before innocence was ruined, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, to your point of it felt more distance, that's the difference because the, the characters in Skim are probably about five or six years older than the characters in This One Summer, and they are more aware. And a lot of what happens in This One Summer, there's a lot of dramatic irony because the main character in This One Summer, Rose, sees things one way when, in fact, things are a completely other way. And, and, and her, her misunderstanding of the situation is due to her, her youth. And so she's not as emotionally impacted as she would be versus like Skim, you know, when she knows, hears about, you know, the suicide and the reverberations of the suicide and she sees it, it hits a lot closer to home because as an older child, she understands the impact a lot more clearly. I I would also say in this one summer where the girls are younger, it becomes a little bit of an awakening to Mm. the real world, right? Where a skim, they're in the real world and it sucks, right? But in this one summer, it's not the loss of innocence. It is, it's still, hey, we're having fun. We're going to the beach every day. We're collecting rocks. But it's mom and dad are going through some shit. I don't really understand. There's times where the author pulls back to explain what was going on with mom and dad. But then it zooms right back into the daughter's perception of it. Her, you know, her summer crush, who's knocked up (laughs) his girlfriend, you know, (laughs) Her again, it same thing. It zooms out so you can see what's really going on, and then it zooms in to her perspective. And that's what was so powerful because it reminded me of, oh yeah, I didn't fully understand everything going on around me, but I had my, these adventures that were ancillary to some serious shit going on. That's one of the things I really liked about this one summer because it actually because it's the better even, book. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, but it. You know, because again, you can't disqualify like Skim had, like, I had this emotional reaction to Skim that I didn't yeah. quite have with this. I, to be clear, I had an emotional reaction to both of them, right? <clears throat> and I'm just not as comfortable with the one I had to Skim as I am this one summer. And I think it's the opposite with you. About the point of view in this one summer, I actually thought that the way the Tamakis handled it was really, really good because it's almost all in Rose's point of view. Even when you see the, the adults chat, I think maybe until the very end, almost all of the time it's because Rose is eavesdropping on the and so, but but what what I really liked about it is that, you know, all of the stuff that Rose witnesses, we as readers have our own point of view on on it. You know, whether it's the her parents arguing or the teenagers in the in the DVD store arguing about something or other, and then you've got Rose who completely misinterprets the the interaction. I think the best example, for instance, is when she sees the pregnant girl Jenny, who's a tour guide at the Huron village, she, she sees Jenny after being bullied. She's being consoled by a guy and Rose's immediate reaction is, I think she's cheating, which says so much about who Rose is at that period of time that she would come to that conclusion and, and how she takes action based off of that conclusion. You know, another thing, an interesting dynamic that's I think better done in this one summer. So there is the main character skim in skim and Rose in this one summer, and they both have best friends. Yes. And in this one summer, Wendy is fucking awesome. She's comic relief, but she's a layered character that, you know, the beach house friend or the lake house friend. But in Skim, the I don't want to say that 
the best friend is forgettable, but I literally cannot remember her name. And she there I mean, there is more of an evolution of the friendship. They go apart. I, th- I think now I think her name's Lisa. Lisa, Lisa. becomes part of the cool crowd, or she starts behaving like a, a regular girl, not a weirdo Wiccan girl. Uh, I just, I and again, I just, I think the characters are more layered in Skim, and they were more real in Skim, but in this one summer. I felt more contrast in the characters. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so one thing I really liked about Wendy is when you first meet her, she actually seems the more childlike one. She seems more immature because she's kind of goofy. And by contrast, Rose is a lot quieter. And so you assume that that's maturity. But as the story progresses, you actually realize that Wendy is very observant. She's very she's the one who kind of pegs Rose's crush, uh, the dud, as being like really kind of disgusting. You know, yeah, as a scumbag. Yeah. Wendy Wendy is actually very observant. And even that moment when Rose says some really nasty things about Jenny being oh, she's probably just a slut, you know, Wendy, Wendy's the one who calls her out on it. So I I I actually, I really kind of like that reversal where you see Wendy and she's this frivolous kind of childlike character. And I initially thought that the, the they would diverge because Rose would end up being the more mature one, trying to be more of an adult, and Wendy would still be stuck in childhood. It's actually kind of the opposite. When I was thinking about those two girls in relation to Skim, I actually, it's not perfect you know, analogs, but I almost kind of thought it was Wendy as being sort of like a more... Wendy becomes um, or, or no, Wendy would skim, become skim. skim. Skim being kind of a more depressed version of Wendy, or Wendy has a really bad time in pu- going through puberty and, and becomes like Skim. You can kind of sense them slowly growing apart in this one summer. And in Skim, you see that moment of, of fracturing where the two girls actually do finally drift in very separate directions. And the other thing I have to wonder again, I know one of them wrote it, one of them drew it, but you have to imagine they both kind of informed each other's work. Are there any parallels to these relationships of these, the closeness of these cousins to the closeness of the two characters in the book? Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, that would be be speculative. I mean, there's a very there's it's a very detailed look at how of at, at female friendships in particular. So, if not between the two cousins, it wouldn't be surprised me if both if you know both both women you know had gone through. Yeah, but I th- I think about my relationships with my cousins or the family friends, you know, when you're at the age of Rose and Wendy, you're much closer. And then you get older and you become different and you become into different things. Yeah. Um and you become honestly <sighs> precious teenagers and you're too cool for school and that yeah. that person you were friends with as a kid is a fucking weirdo and you don't want to hang out with them anymore and I really related to that because I've had those friendships and some endured, some did not. I was an asshole as I became a teenager. They were an asshole to me. Like, God, I just hate the teen years. <laughs> just like Skim. <laughs> ah, like, I'm cringing right that's now. A, that's, that's your review of Skim. God, I just hate the teen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want to relive those. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to get your take on the adult relationships in both This One Summer and Skim. Because th- those are very prominent even if they're not fully, ex- they are actually explained in this one, scum- Summer and Skim, you're kind of, you, you kind of have to to guess what exactly happened. But you definitely get a sense of the adult's unhappiness and how that impacts the- And that is kid. parallel between the books. One feels like a sequel to the other. It's You see the fracturing of the relationship. Maybe they make, maybe Rose's parents make it. But by the time you get to Skim, they didn't, I mean, and, and it's a very different set of parents, to be clear. But, you know, by the time you get to Skim, it's clear they wrote it off. Skim's parents divorced. Yeah, 
I, so I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the parents in this one summer, and this is actually one of the areas in the book that it, it hit way too close to home. I'm not going to lie. It's, okay, um, talk talk to me about that. What happened to your life, Roman? No, we're good. I'll say that. And you're newly okay. married. I'm how many years? Well, now? let me ask I'm it almost, a different. But no, let, let me. I'll, I'm going to answer your question directly. Marriage is hard, and marriage takes work. And there was this one moment at the very beginning when they get to the lake house. And the dad, Rose's dad, just wants to unpack. And the mom's like, just leave it be. Just let me be. Let me do it my way. And those beats and those moments of the tension between this married couple that have, they're committed to the raising of their daughter. It's clear they both love their daughter in their own way. You know, my, my wife and I are a team, but we've had moments where, you know, hey, I just need a minute. Let me do it my way. Yeah. And. It's clear. I don't know if Jillian or Mariko are married, but it, there is an understanding of how a relationship grows. It's not marriage is work and yeah. it's an it's work and it's not all romance all the time. And you could totally see that in in Rose's parents and the trauma of a miscarriage. Most people who have kids or have been trying to have kids have been there and it. It, I don't want to say it fractures, but it, it causes a tension to come into the relationship. So just, and even the relationship with siblings, like it, while it was very, a very light touch when Rose's mom's sisters comes to visit, it was kind of a very real articulation. And then the, the husband who is, you know, external <laughs> to this family, you know, he's the uncle. It, it, it was very real. It, it just, it all felt real in a, in a married relationship that's, 10 to 15 to 20 years on. You know, a buddy of mine once described uh, marriage as sort of like a series of ongoing negotiations. <laughs> Never end. No, I think but, it's a partner. I think it's a partnership. Well, I mean, you know, you're, you're always negotiating with your partners. That's fair. But, you know, I mean, so here's what I, what, what bothered me a little bit about that. The way the relationship was depicted is although the fracturing of the relationship, which I actually thought was really, really good. But I thought they were going to set it up. In the early parts of this one summer, you kind of get the sense that the relationship has become problematic because they had, of an inability to have a second child, that this is what's really driving. And I always kind of thought, well, okay, I'm sure that's part of it, but there's got to be something more. It just seemed like there were deeper wounds in that relationship, especially since they already had a daughter. And maybe this is me being like a childless, you know, married dude, you know, who doesn't really want a child. So maybe I, I lack the understanding of the emotional impact here. But, you know, I, I felt like there were greater cuts in this relationship than just the fact that they couldn't have a second child. You know, they, again, they already had Rose. They already had a first child. If they didn't have the first child, I can kind of understand this being like a, a huge, huge, huge thing. That's our understanding of the reason why the relationship is on the rocks in the beginning. That's Rose's understanding of why the relationship is on the rocks. In the no, beginning. Rose doesn't understand it. I don't think Rose understands. She that. no. She's she kind of mentions, oh, you leave all these baby books around. You know, am I not good enough for you? So I, I think she does have an understanding of it, even if she hasn't articulated it. It's so you know, and she and she does mention it a few times that they wanted to have a second kid, or she overhears them. So I, I think things are clicking for her. What I thought would happen, though, is that because Rose doesn't always have a good grasp of what's happening, she doesn't fully understand the situation, that we would learn towards the end more secrets about this marriage, that there would, in fact, be something else 
driving, you know, the the friction between the husband and the wife, between her father and their mother. And in the end, we realize that no, it actually does seem to kind of go back to them not being able to have a second child. She do, did have a miscarriage in, you know, I think the summer before in the lake. But I just kind of felt like, you know, there was there was there should have been more. Well, here's what I'd say. There's always something more. So yeah, you know, and, and like the, the dishwashing moment, that dishwashing moment. Oh, that's good. Had nothing to do with the miscarriage. It no. just had to do with the tensions that exist between a man and a wife or, or, or a set of partners. Sorry. Once you've been together for so long, you can literally snap at them. And it's and even though it was the setup for the ongoing tension that later on kind of blew up. But it's just like those moments happen. Just let me do my shit. Stop unpacking. Like, stop telling me what to do. Like, that happens in a marriage. It was it was one of the most real married moments. And and I want to come back to the the kid thing. The tension of I've had a very close friend get divorced because they couldn't have kids. I feel the tension in do we want to have a second or not? Can we or can we not? And to do it 10 years on is really fucking weird. But again, my wife and I waited pretty late in our lives to have our first kid. So where it's clear that this couple is significantly younger, they probably had Rose in their twenties, right? Like, and so the idea of having a second in your thirties is realistic versus having your first in your thirties. And, you know, so I just, I really get the tension. I don't need it explained to me. And that's why it felt so real. I didn't, I didn't need to uncover some big drama. He cheated. She cheated. One of them was on drugs or whatever. Like, no, I just, it's real. Ordinarily, I would say, well, that that's fine and all. And I, I did feel that the depiction, I mean, there that the relationship between the husband and the wife felt really real. But the way it was set up, the way things were set up, there are mysteries throughout this this book that Rose slowly starts to uncover. For instance, the what's going on with the teenagers at the DVD rental. Oh, there's a pregnancy there. And it all comes to a head at the end because it's revealed that the dud is a real deadbeat here and just like discards the girl he gets pregnant like a piece of trash. So you have this buildup with these relationships, with these adult relationships. Like, you know, it's, it's a progression. And I feel like they, like that was sort of set up like there would be a buildup in the relationship between the mother and the father. And that was never really paid off. So it's not like, it's not that there needed to be an explanation, the sudden reveal of a deep secret, but you need to kind of give us something, you know, cause I, I, you're, I you're, you're setting, you're setting you're, it up. You're one of, you're one of those guys who watched lost season two and were, and you're like most of America wanted answers to everything and i don't it's it's less about the answers to it and even it playing out and it's all about rose's perceptions to it and at the end of the summer she's not going to know what happened to everything and to be clear at the end of the summer she goes on to her life and her parents will resolve or not resolve these things but this is meant to be a book about this one summer and it, let me yeah, let me give you a counter example. If you if you're just showing a p- depiction of a marriage, you don't need to. You know, there can be mysteries. It doesn't it doesn't need to have like a, a thunderous conclusion at the end. If it's just like a quiet domestic drama. But if you give me a story where it's like, hey, you know, there's this big secret and it's going to be revealed at the end, or you know, something is brewing, something is simmering. It's sort of like a Chekhov's gun. If there's a gun that's introduced, it's, it has to go off. So it's not about there has to be an answer. It's about what you set up. Up. What the expectations? No, what I, expectations but I, are you? But saying? I, but I disagree wholeheartedly with that. Like I don't need it. I don't need the subplot to finish because the only plot of this book 
is Rose's growing up and awakening to the world. And you that's know not what? the only plot. That's not the only plot, though. No, but there me, are subplots. Maybe, maybe it's not. The purpose of this book, to me, is Rose's perception and awakening, awakening to the world. And at the end of the summer, her parents shit ain't going to resolve itself. She's going to go home, and they're probably going to fight more, and there's probably going to be more depression. But you've seen her kind of awaken to it. They, they even make a joke about it, like, as they're leaving, what do you think's going to happen? It's like, oh, well, we'll see when we come back to the lake later on. Like, they... This literally is an interlude. It's a, the title of the book is this one summer, all this shit happened and it never resolved itself. So it, it almost, it's like the, when you go on vacation, shit happens and you don't always figure out, you don't get the threads done because when you leave, you leave and some of the threads are left untied at the Just end. because there's a revelation though, doesn't mean that it's a conclusion. I mean, you can kind of have a, a major revelation without out tying you know a bow on it and in a way there's an overture towards that because at the end rose's mother says hey you know was kind of talking about how she went into the lake and she had that miscarriage and it was this really devastating moment for her and that moment is treated as this sort of like you know the, the thing the revelation so and i think that was supposed to be kind of it but she never tells. Still, but hang on, to be clear, she never explains it to Rose. It's no. when the it's when the author zooms out and tells us the reader that happened. Yes, yes, and to but you know, okay. So why do the Tamakis have that moment? It's because it is supposed to kind of explain a little something about the mother and why she is the way she is and why she's so devastated. And and I guess it fell a little flat to me. It's sort of like, well, okay. I I, I expected more, and so that that's that's the thing. It's sort of like you're promising some sort of revelation in the beginning. You give us a kind of revelation at the end, but it doesn't really add up, add much. And so that's why I was a little bit disappointed. Well, sucks to be you, because I felt fully fulfilled by this book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want, I want to, we spent a lot of time on this one. Sorry, yeah. Because, you know, it is the better book, but we can move back to skin. But one moment I just want to talk about that I really just loved in this book. And, you know, we've talked about on other episodes, like good pacing between art and pictures. And it's the moment where, over the course of like five pages, they just show how a day flows out, you know, like 10 a.m., 12 a.m. It's it's somewhere in the first third of the book, but it just kind of sets the pace for what these summer days were. And it's it's literally, you know, the morning starts at 1021. You're stuck around, you know, the late brunch or lunch at 11 with your family goofing off on the swings at 1254. Dad going for a drive at 145, doing some mini golf at 212. And it does it all the way till 9 p.m. And it's like, yeah. and then they then they actually do show like a character beat of something that happens later on that evening. But it just kind of shows what the pace of the days were like on this vacation. And it felt so real to me. It's just, no, I'm, they've clearly got better at their craft with this book. I'm not saying Skim is not good, but this one summer was created about five years after. And... I think they both went off and did some stuff in between, and you can tell they they got better at their craft. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. This one summer is a, definitely a more mature book, and I think the storytelling is a lot tighter. I think one of the big advantages that they have in this one summer is that it is very much focused on literally this one summer. Versus Skim, it's sort of a year, you know, it, a year it's, or two. Yeah, it's, it's over a year. It, she doesn't have a very structured life throughout this. I mean, she goes it's high school and stuff like that, but she's just kind of wandering through. Where is she? Is she in Toronto? 
just kind of, <laughs> I'm going to say she's just wandering through Canada, but then I make it feel like, then it seems like the book's like The Revenant or something. <laughs> well, she does take a bus. She goes out to the woods. She goes to like Wiccan ceremonies. <laughs> she catches the bus to her. I don't think she had an affair with her teacher, by the way. Really? Just, There's that panel of them kissing. She had I mean, a that, kiss. That's, she had a that, kiss. I mean, come on, man. That's grossly inappropriate. It, yes, it is grossly inappropriate, but I wouldn't call it an affair. I think in a moment, she kissed her teacher, kissed her. And as a teenager would do, who doesn't know how to process, it was probably her first kiss. Yeah. she's She she treats it like an affair in her mind, but the teacher, like, immediately, because nothing else happens after that moment, the teacher immediately distances herself from her because she probably knew that was grossly inappropriate, and I cannot leave this kid on. And But you uh, see, you see Skim just become overly, like, hyper-obsessive about it. Yeah, exactly. But that's why I said it's an affair, right? It's because in her mind, in her, in mind. her mind, yeah. But that is important because again, this whole book is almost in her mind. It's what's going on with her. I mean, mm. she's a very screwed up kid. So even that little kiss, you know, for Has the teacher. Oh, it's a, it's a. I shouldn't have done it. It's a mistake for Skim. You know, she's kind of she kind of becomes a hanger on. I mean, it has a much more lasting impression on her and a much more damaging impression. I'll tell you what I liked about Skim more, even as a you know, as a, I agree with you that this one summer is is more mature. But the stakes feel higher in Skim, in part because they're older, in part because the characters are more aware. There's a specter of suicide that that pervades the entire book. It begins with the kid's suicide, and, and that suicide actually informs a lot of action and also informs a lot of fear that people have that Skim might, might eventually kill herself. And the relationships with the adults, we just talked about the teacher, Skim is a participant. She is not a witness there. So I feel like all of that gives Skim a lot more dramatic immediacy than this one summer, where you where it's a much more structured book, a much tighter book. But at the same time, I never really felt as if Rose was in any danger in the way that I felt Skim was in danger, either because she was in these emotionally crushing moments or because, you know, it's just there's this there's the specter of death that hangs over everything. No, and you literally have everyone thinking she's this emo goth kid that's going to kill herself as well. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah, I. And there's rejection after rejection, right? I mean, like, but, we but, but is, about... isn't that true? The stakes are the stakes feel higher in your life when you're a teenager. It's yeah. soul crushing. Every moment, every kiss, every rejection, every missed phone call is so dramatic as a teenager. And as a kid, it's just like some weird shit in the world that I'm observing. You know, yeah, the yeah. stakes do feel higher because they felt higher for Skim. They felt higher even for Lisa. And ah, ah, I hate those years. I don't, I don't want to revisit these years. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's. I mean, it's uncomfortable. But for me, I mean, again, that's what, that's what you know what it's like. It's you like, relish um, it. You, you know, relish it. <laughs> yeah, I like to. You know, I like Fleabag. I like Peep Show. I like, I like cringe humor, even though there isn't actually that much that much humor here but to me the stakes are really important right when you think about jane austen you know i can't believe i'm making this connection but you know it, about, about women who just want to get married if you put that in the modern day it seems kind of frivolous who cares if like you're 23 years old and unmarried but if you're put it in jane austen's time in a in a world of like primogeniture and all that stuff where if you're a woman you can't inherit Money, you can't inherit your father's stuff. And if you're an unmarried spinster, you're going to go to the poorhouse. The, the state is going to take all of your wealth. 
the stakes are so much higher. To me, that's important because that is what makes the dramatic action dramatic. Without it, it's sort of like, oh, okay, it's an interesting incident that happened. You know what I find interesting about us talking about these books, similar to one of the last books we did, Black. You know, we brought a guest on, but it was another non-Black guest. We did both have the childhood and the teen experience, but we did not have the childhood girl experience or the teen girl experience. And I feel like that perspective is missing from our discussion of these books. Because, again, I relate to these a lot more than I did Black, the previous book that we did. But I... I almost kind of want to like challenge the, was this your, your experience? Is this what being a teen girl is like? Is this pretty accurate? And to be fair, it probably is because it was written and illustrated by teen girls who went through those experiences. And I think, I think it is, it's, I don't think I could have read these books at that age, but I do think these are books that people should be reading to, to kind of capture the sentiment that other people experience that's that's what i like about media it is transcendent it takes you into something that is yours but wasn't yours at the same time i was actually thinking about that right do we need you know do you need a black guy to talk about black do we need a woman to talk about skin well this I, was summer I do think... we need i mean no because I'm, I'm kind of thinking you know it's not you know the reason these books are being written is to communicate the experience to a broader audience need, so need no want yes so I would get more out of this analysis if I could pick someone's brain. I was like, not was this your experience, but how real does this feel, right? Mm-hmm. Or is this sensationalizing mm-hmm. the experience? Because you and I are reading this as this is it. This is clearly what teen girls experience. This is clearly what little girls experience well, because it's what teenagers experience. I mean, you just well I that's mean, that's what we that's what we think. What, well, yes, but the teen yeah, you've been a teenager. You different. you. Yeah, it is. But you said yourself, this is cringe. Oh my God, I can't. This reminds me of my own teenage years. So certainly you didn't experience exactly what Skim experienced, but you definitely experienced analogous situations. And you definitely relate to sort of the, the social horror that she felt when she was humiliated or when friendships were, were dissolving. Fair. Sort of like, Fair. yeah. So so I don't, you know, so I, I feel like in a way, even though, you know, that, that's what I actually love about these books is that yes, it's specifically about, you know, in this one summer, girls who are preteens and skim, it's about girls who are who are teenagers, but it's also very, very universal. The the emotions and and the disappointments and the disillusionments that all of these characters feel. It's stuff that I think everyone can relate to. That's fair. That's fair. I would hope at least. Did you all have right. a Wiccan phase? <laughs> Never really into Wiccan shit, but as you know, I'm into like you know, I, I had a gore phase. I, I never actually grew out of it. <laughs> As actually, I, by some of the books I have to read with you. When you're a teenager, you kind of watch like really gory movies because they're you know, either forbidden or because you want to. It's like a test, right? Oh, my God. I heard Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer is the most fucked up movie ever. Let me watch it and let me see if I can stand it. It's like you're pushing boundaries and trying to see how much you can stomach. And nowadays, I don't really have that urge to try to like experiment with this sort of stuff. But it, it I, I do still enjoy, you know, a good horror movie or, or a good, you know, I, I, I do like like those stories that have that darkness to it for the reasons I kind of articulated earlier because it, it makes the dramatic stakes so much so much more harrowing. So there is something I, I kind of want to mention. So 
the one is the publisher of this one summer is a publisher called first second press which i accidentally discovered another indie comics producer out of new york city and again aren't they owned by aren't they owned by aren't they owned by random house yes yeah and the founder is actually from the Hudson Valley. They were bought by Random House or Scholastic. Uh, but anyway, and their office is in the Flatiron Building. But they've become this trusted brand. What, the reason I picked up this one summer independent of this podcast years ago was because I was like, oh, it's another first, second book. Like I think I went to their website and just like, oh, what's another book? And I requested from the library and I liked it. And so there's it is kind of this young adult thing. So I do think you and I should go find other things from this imprint because similar to dark horse kind of has a feel and a vibe where they choose projects to adopt or authors to bring in. But the other thing I read, you know, I like to always read reviews of these books after I read them before we record. And I want to, I want to tell you kind of this interesting tangent. So a while back, you know, I'm always looking up interesting comics to read and, you know, I'm trying to get my daughter's getting into comics, even though she's only four, she likes me reading them to her. She likes to flip through them on her own because she feels like she can read them on her own, even though she can't read the words because the pictures telegraph a story. Yeah. And there was, there's this author named Raina Telegemeyer and she won the Eisner or some big award for this book called smile. And I got one of the books from the library to read myself, literally to read for me. So I could get it for my niece or my daughter two to three years from now. And my daughter wound up picking it up and it is her favorite book. Like she makes us read it to her, this book smile. Hmm. And when I was reading the review for this one summer, it was a librarian who read it and she was like, yeah, for teen or adolescent girls who really like Raina Telegemeyer's work, I give them this one summer as like the graduation step up because the characters are the same age, but smile is just kind of an innocuous story about getting braces and being in the girl scouts. And this one summer unlocks this moment of this awakening of the real world. And to be clear, my daughter's too young to be reading Smile. My wife, that, and there's a there's a whole series of uh, books about this character, which is autobiographical to Raina Telegemeyer, the author and the the artist. And my wife's like, our daughter shouldn't be reading these other books, like about dating and stuff. But I'm like, this one summer feels like a book I want my daughter to read. I don't know when, maybe seven or eight or nine, but yeah, it's no, no. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, the characters here are sort of kind of. You talk about it as sort of like, you know, the next step up. I mean, it's a graduation into the world of adult problems. I mean, it's, it, and you know, I mean, a large part of it is, you know, you're starting to learn how to, these problems are going to become real. And as you grow up, you're going to have to learn how to handle them and deal with them both, you know, emotionally and in terms of like, what the fuck do I do? Well, and I think the other reason I appreciate them as a parent is, look, Skim, I'm really afraid of my daughter becoming a teenager, but she's going to become a, a, a little girl and an adolescent before that. And so for me to kind of get more window and perspective into it, I don't want to call it refreshing, but it's like, uh, yeah, this is what I need to get ready for, <laughs> you know? And again, there's more innocence to this one summer. And if anything, it excites me about the years to come as a father to a daughter, right? So again, they're both good books, but if there's one I put on my bookshelf, it's definitely this one summer. See, we didn't need the perspective of, of somebody who was once a teenage girl. We needed the perspective of a father who will one day be raising a teenage girl. And we got have that. I told you my Have I told you my Jhumpa Lahiri story? Oh yeah, I did it probably. I put it on the last episode and you actually renamed the episode around that. But it's this idea of when I read the namesake, I saw it as the son. And when I saw the movie, I saw it as the father. And this one summer, 
Skim, I saw it as the teenage boy. And this one summer, I saw it as a father. It's interesting. It kind of reminds me of the South Park creators, how when they started out, they kind of were, <laughs> they kind of saw it from the point of view of the kids, but now they kind of relate the most to Randy Marsh. <laughs> All right, Rumin. So tell me something. What are we going to read next week? Next week, my friend, I am so excited. We are reading Pulp by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, an action-packed team of writer artists that get together frequently and just make good fucking comics. I'm telling you, Ryan, it's got everything. It's got the 40s. It's got pulp writing. It's got cowboys. It's got Nazis. Oh, it's so good. It's going to be so much fun. Pulp by Ed Brubaker. I cannot wait. Oh, damn. The way you described it, I am super hyped. We are going from skim to pulp. I like it. <laughs> skim is sort of the skim is sort of the opposite of pulp. When you when you skim something, there's no pulp. Just You're going way too way too deep that. for me. I'm, I'm two <laughs> drinks in. <laughs> no, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. I enjoy getting really serious and enjoying a good drama, a good Oscar winning drama, like some of the shit we've been reading. But every once in a while, you just want a good dumbass action movie. <laughs> I got to tell you, Roman, I mean, we've been reading really good books. I mean, pretty consistently. But as I look at what we have, I notice I don't have, we don't have what we have coming up. We don't have anything that's going to really fuck up your shit. And I want to fuck up your shit a little bit, Roman, like <laughs> Junji Ito style. And I haven't been able to do that yet. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to work to do that. That's going to be my next goal. Challenge accepted, <laughs> my friend. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Until then, we're going to have happy times. We're going to reminisce about the good wonder years. And beat up some Nazis. We're going to beat up some Nazis. Hot damn.